Today, I'm talking to Lars Carlson in Telluride, Colorado with Live Sotheby's International Realty. With over 30 years in real estate in Telluride and over 8% market share over the last five years, working with multi-million dollar clients comes naturally for Lars. In fact, working with multi-million dollar clients is not at all what he would call it. He knows the market and he understands what a good negotiation really looks like. He has honed his craft from listening, empathy, attention to detail, truly caring, and never taking himself too seriously. Lars shares his insights and less obvious nuances of our business that have reaped many rewards and success over his 30 plus years as a real estate broker in Telluride. Lars and I talk about how to represent multi-million dollar buyers and sellers. Thanks for listening to the Jerry Metcalf podcast, where top real estate agents tell how they do it. This podcast was created for real estate agents across the country to come together, sharing ideas to take your, their, and all our business to the next level. All right, everybody. It's the Jerry Metcalf podcast where top real estate agents tell how they do it. And we have on the show today, Lars Carlson with Sotheby's International Realty, live Sotheby's International Realty in Telluride. And he is a top agent, of course, and he has been a real estate agent since 1989. I'm sure he loves me sharing that with y'all because that would be 32 years. Uh, yeah. You've got a lot of wisdom to share today. Maybe a little bit. And he's humble. So back to wisdom. Thanks for joining us on the show. Good to Thank see you. Thank you for having me, Jerry. Yeah. So Brad Webb, a former guest, knows you as a frequent visitor of Tigerod and told us we've got to have you. So thank you for coming and good to meet you in person and see you. I'm very, yeah, I'm, I'm very excited to be on the show. Thank you. So tell us a little bit about how you became, I think there's a story and I haven't gotten it yet, oh. of how you got into real estate. Well, I, I moved to Telluride in 1985, which dates me even older. Um, uh, left the University of Oregon, came here with my college roommates. We decided to move to a ski area after college. We we're going to go to Jackson Hole. And then I convinced all of them to come to Telluride because the guy I worked with in the ski shop said Telluride's the up and coming new place, which... Um, was incredible, uh, incredible uh, opportunity for him to, or opportunity for me, because I convinced everyone to come. But so yeah. I worked in, what, go ahead. No, I was just listening. Oh, okay. So I worked in a ski shop for the next, because I worked in a ski shop through college. And so I worked in a ski shop in um, Telluride, Telluride Sports for three or four years. I was planning on leaving town because I'm like, I, I got to get a real job. And so I'm walking down Main Street. It's covered with snow. And this is early morning, like 7.30. I got a cup of coffee in my hand. I have to get to the ski shop to open it up. And another broker starts walking along with me. And he's like, so what are you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm going to work. You know, I'm heading to the ski shop. And I'd ended up selling him some skis earlier in the year. And he's like, well, so what are your plans? What are you going to do this summer? And I'm like, well, I'm thinking about leaving. There's just not, you know, I want to I get a real job. I don't want to be in construction. And so he goes, well, 
if you could make money here, would you stay? And I'm like, yeah. And so he recruited me to get into real estate in 1989. And I've been doing it ever since. Wow. So went from a real job to a real estate agent. (laughs) (laughs) You could say that. Yeah. So the guy who recruited you into real estate, is he still in the business or did you guys, did he, did you come in under his wing or what happened? Actually, um, I was supposed to come in under his wing. His company had roughly 30 agents. And at the last minute, I decided to go with a more boutique company that only had three agents. And it was a great, I wanted more of a, a tutor or mentoring situation. You go into an office of 30 people when you're, you know, brand new, it's, it's difficult. And so I went with another company for the first three or four years and then moved back to the other, to the other person's company, um, wow. Tyrod Real Estate Corp. Wow. And so here you are 30 years later. Um, going into this business because you went in from a job and then you're in real estate agent Telluride and Telluride, even now people know about it, but not everybody knows about it. But in 1989, what was it like being a real estate agent in Telluride? Oh God. Um, wow. That's a good question. Yeah, it was, it was really interesting because it was, I think 89 was probably the first the first year that kind of really bumped up with sales. And I spent, I worked extremely hard by my first um, summer and was working probably six days a week. Um, you know, I wasn't married, didn't have kids, didn't, didn't have a dog. And so I spent, you know, 12 to 14 hours a day. And I got uh, very fortunate. I had a couple walk-ins. One of them bought a, uh, a small condo. And then a month later decides to buy a commercial building, which wow. at the time was a really big sale for the, the whole community. And so I had a really, um, you know, when you're in a ski shop, you're not making much money. And all of a sudden I started, I I felt like money was pouring in. I'm like, oh, this job is so easy. And then I went, I think the next year I didn't have an entire, and a single sale because I just wasn't working. I just go up, you know, that was so easy. I'm just going to kind of coast. And then I finally in 1991, I'm like, all right, you got to work. You got to put in the time. And that's when I started uh, getting much more consistent income. Wow. So, you know, tell your ride today, uh, people say, if you're a billionaire, you have a health and tell your ride. It's where you could fly the private jet in the ski slopes are the best. It's a beautiful private town, the nearest, you know, I guess international or com- true commercial airport is what a couple hours away, six hours away, six nearest hours. stoplight is 38 miles. Right. So, what was the market like? What was Telluride then compared to what it is now? Telluride, is that relevant to back in back to your success? But yeah, go ahead, tell us. Telluride was more of kind of a, the secret ski area for people that didn't want to be recognized or didn't want to be uh, have anyone talking down on the streets. And so we'd have um, celebrities, we'd have um, CEOs that just didn't want to be a part of and I hate to say the Aspen scene, but they just didn't want to be seen. And so they That's came good here. Now, isn't it? Or is it more like Aspen now? No, it's still, it's still very um, under the radar. I mean, Aspen is Aspen. Um, and I was just there, you know, earlier this year. And I'm not, I mean, it's a great ski area and they've got a lot of great golf courses, but it, it really, Telluride is just so much more low key. You don't find anybody dressing up to go out to dinner. You don't find people dressing up to go out, um, on the town, it's very low key. You can wear jeans anywhere, flip flops for most most of the time into a restaurant. It's just a lot, um, a lot quieter. Yeah. 
So you got your first trade, you got your first contract because you got to walk and you're like, well, this is easy. Then you figure it out. Oh, wait, not really. Yep. So 1991, when you start really going, I got to get to work. What did you do? What did it look like? And how did that transpire into true traction in the business? You know, once again, I think uh, a lot of that was just putting in the hours. I mean, this is a business where you have to put in the hours. And um, I think I was working, you know, similar, like five, I would say five and a half, six days a week, probably 12 hours a day, at least. Um, and, you know, you're, you get lucky, you get people that I had one guy that was walking on the door and I was going to go on a mountain bike ride. And he, I, I decided to stay in the office because he knocked on the door, started talking to him and ended up being a, a big CEO of an uh, energy company, he bought a large lot in the mountain village. And it's just little stuff like that. In fact, <laughs> I've got a, uh, I actually was working in the office early one Saturday morning and got a knock on the door and I walk up and it's Donald Trump, our former president. Oh, and, yeah. and he's walking in to meet one of the, uh, one of the brokers in my office. I, I, I sit him down. Uh, you know, it was very interesting. Uh, he wanted to, the uh, developer of this gear to give him a number of lots so that he could develop and it just didn't work out. But that, you know, I had dinner next to him uh, the next night, which was interesting. He and Marla at the time. Yeah. So you never know who you're gonna run into in this business. Well, and, that, and I think that's a little bit like Telluride, like there's a Donald Trump everywhere. You don't necessarily know who they are. Because yeah. Because Donald Trump, you know who he is. Um, but that's just a good example of what that market's like. And I love like, Donald Trump, of course, he's always a hot topic. You talk about Donald Trump and everybody listens, but we're not going there on this show. <laughs> Other than, I bet it was interesting that he's pr a pretty like, I bet Telluride wasn't a fit for the way he does business or what happened, just out of curiosity. What happened is he, he tried to convince the developer to give him a number of lots for free, saying that on his name, he could make the ski area more um, famous. Right. And and the, the, That's not what you're looking for until you're on. Well, and the, the owner of the ski area goes, why would I give them the lots for free when I can sell them and, and keep the money? He goes, you know, I'm the, the ski area is going to do fine regardless. Yeah. So, and it, Interesting. You know, this is a story straight from the ski area owner's mouth, the developer's mouth. We're Love good it. friends. So back to tell you right so you're dealing you know everybody in this business or there's this consensus we all want to be in luxury we want to get the big clients whether it's a donald trump or a let you know of course everybody listening may have different reactions to that name but a big name big money high profile in your market you're dealing with a lot of pretty much that's the general consensus of who your clients are yes or what does it look like what is it like to work with them and what do you think is the difference between you know, tell answer that. What is, what is it like working in your market, really? What are the clients like? Who are they? What's well, and so I, you know, I would go back to your original question about what was selling real estate like in 89 or 91. And you had a, you know, it was a lot of doctors, lawyers, people discovering it on their own. Prices were much more reasonable. And so you never really, I mean, I, number one, I, I don't ask what a, I, I might I don't ask how what a person does or what the what what they make because I think if you listen, they'll tell you. They want to tell you their whole life story, and so when you get in a car and start driving around, they start talking, and you just kind of prod them along, just like you're doing here, Jerry. Um, you prod them along, and uh, it's amazing what you can learn and what they want to tell you. And I think uh, you know the 
sometimes the bigger the client, the more they want to tell you. And then I've had other clients that don't tell me anything that I find out accidentally. Um, and it's just amazing to know, oh, wow, I didn't realize that guy was close to a billionaire. You just, it just happens. So a couple of interesting things to, that I note from that is number one, you said, don't ask. If you listen, they tell you. And in our recent conversations, that is definitely you. You mm -hmm. let the other person do the talking and you just ask a couple of questions and just let them go. Yeah. Um, and you find things out, which I think is really important just to take note of, which I love because now I'm interviewing you and you're like, hmm, but I'm not listening. I'm on the hot seat. Right. But I'm supposed to be listening. <laughs> um, and the other thing is, you know, in a lot of markets like Atlanta, it's a lot, you know, it's kind of, it's a different place, different Atlanta's a different market, different place, different buyer. There is a little bit more pre-qualifying, but I think tell you right in of itself almost sounds like without, you know, I don't want to be the PC baby, but I don't want to be offensive or politically incorrect, but it's a little bit of when they're in Telluride, that is a bit of a pre-qualifier. -pre I think automatically, that's kind of what I have always thought. If they're they're coming in to ask about real estate, you know, you, you occasionally get the people coming in going, well, how much for that picture in the window? And you kind of go, uh, you know, whatever it is. But yeah. normally, if they, they've already looked at a few magazines, they've already seen the ads in the paper, or they've talked to their friends and said, oh, you know, and so they, you know, they're qualified when they walk in yeah. and for the, you know, the majority of my deals are not finance deals. People are paying cash or borrowing off portfolios. And we're going back and forth a little bit to evolve in this in your business and, and, and being an agent, but you know, the price, it was not an inexpensive market to be in an 89 relative to the rest of the country, but in 2021, it is a much more expensive market. Give us just an example, an idea of the market there now until you ride. The price, average sales price is, I think it's well over a million, isn't it? Or? Uh, yep. So yeah. um, I remember when I first got in the business, I was true because I came from Oregon and you can buy a house for Oregon for, you know, lunch money. And yeah. I would be tripping over people were like, how much does that cost? And I sold my first little Victorian. I sold for 160,000. And I remember walking over to the, 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 the buyer's house that she, cause they already owned another house in town. This is in Telluride. This is in Telluride. So yeah. she owned another house and wanted to get a house for her guests. In 1989, everybody. 1989. Okay, no, just make sure we put it in context, but keep going. Yeah, sorry. And so she, I, I walk over the day before closing and I'm like, are you ready for closing tomorrow? She goes, oh, I thought it was next week. And I'm like, no. And I remember being astounded that she picked up the phone and transferred 160,000 to the closing for the next day. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, I didn't realize people had that much money in their bank account. It just, it, it was unbelievable. So that was my first sale. Yeah. And in Telluride, and now you cannot purchase a house in town for under $2 million. I mean, right. I remember I was there a couple of years ago and it was like little tiny houses were two and a half million. Yeah, little little um, historic homes are probably a million four, a million five. Right now we just don't, the last one to sell was around 2 million, but that's because of its location. But yeah, it's, it's changed dramatically. And it really, COVID has made a huge difference in our market over the last year. It, it is spike the market beyond our belief. So in cities like Atlanta and everywhere, there's a lot of cold calling going on and calling expires and FISBOs. Is that what you do in Telluride? No. Right? What does it look like in Telluride to win and do business? And how does it work? 
Well, I think you're going to see more because there's so little inventory in the market right now. We have seven homes in the town of Telluride. We have, I think, 19 homes in the town of Mountain Village. If you wanted to walk that's into a what? That's for sale. Listen. That is for sale right now. Yeah. And if you wanted to walk into a home in Telluride that's turnkey, it would be six million dollars for a three bedroom. Wow. So everything else you have to spend time and fix up. And so I think we will start seeing more, more not necessarily cold calling, but people calling all of their clients and saying, hey, if you're thinking about selling, now's the time to do it. So in your market, what is the best way to develop business? And I say this, everybody listening, because it gives us new ways to think about growing our businesses and serving our businesses. But what has made your, how did you truly like build your book of business and how have you maintained it over the years? I think that, and you're going to, um, the, the single biggest factor for my business to jump here in Telluride was probably in 19, I don't know, 98 or something. I had two clients, um, one of them being a really good friend of Brad Webb. And they both said, Hey, if I'm going to, we want you to list the property, but if you're going to do it, you have to advertise. And so I started advertising and it really, um, gave my business a boost. Yeah. It was incredible the amount of, and I still advertise to this day. I mean, I think it's, I think listing people that have um, owners would love to see, love to see advertising. I think, you know, I, I don't think it really works. I mean, it might, it might make a few people notice it in the paper, but not really. But um, that was the single biggest boost. But then I think, I, I think what we do here in Telluride, and I'm sure you do it there in Atlanta, is we build relationships. And that is, I mean, that's key. Like I worked with a guy um, for 17 years. He remembers before I had kids and every year he'd come to town and he wouldn't buy anything, but he'd look at property. And finally, two years ago, he, he'd been doing obviously very well. And he goes, I'm going to buy this building for $8 million. And then yeah. he put another 6 million into it. But so I've been working with him literally every year I'd show him property or every other year. And finally, after 17 years, he pulls the trigger, which is amazing. I think it, you know, what, what we're doing is we're establishing relationships. And I think for Telluride, and I, I'm, I'm sure it's true for Atlanta as well, you're, you're selling the lifestyle, what people want to do, why they envision themselves here. Like, why, you know, why do you want to be in Telluride? You know, some of them want to paddleboard down the river. Some of them want to go biking or hiking. You know, a lot of them love to ski. And, I, you know, we show them ways to enjoy the, the nature here and, you know, going to one of the new restaurants or bars and, and kind of, you know, meeting people. That's, that's what our job here is. Yeah. You know, after we match them up with the right property. Meeting people and matching and knowing the right properties for them. Too. Right. Um, what, is, what do you, what do you find when, when your clients hire you? Mm -hmm. Why you, why not somebody else? Um, usually referral, but then I think also, um, I have, I have an ability to, to, to build a relationship. I, and as we talked about earlier, I, I really listen. And I think that builds trust, um, very quickly because it, I think all the people that we deal with, um, the buyers want to talk about themselves. I mean, people in general want to talk about themselves, yeah. but it really uh, takes a special person to kind of listen, kind of, you know, re repeat it back to them. Oh, so you are looking for a three bedroom house. You have three kids. Tell me what they do. All those things are very important. And in our market, um, occasionally you get somebody that says, I'll, I'll pull the trigger right now. Or they go home, they like call you back and they say, hey, we really like that house we looked at. 
But for the most part, you end up calling them and emailing them for a number of years and, and you're, you're building a relationship and, you know, you're telling them when it, it snows a foot, Hey, it snowed a foot, you know, get on out here. You mean all these, Hey, bluegrass is coming up, come on out, you know? And, and then, you know, hopefully we find them a property that trip, or if it's not that trip, then the next trip, you know? So something that you said is you were talking about, and I asked you, why do people hire you and no one else? And you were kind of thinking out loud through it about, you know, here's this to sum it up. Here's what you actually said. You were talking about how, you know, people want to talk about themselves and they need to trust you. And we say this over and over on this show is, especially a lot of focus on our show is the luxury market is in the luxury market. They don't hire you because you sent them 20 postcards. They don't hire you because you harass them more than anybody else. They're looking for someone that they can trust and they know they can trust and someone that they know is listening to them. And, and you know, the other thing I would say, Jerry, is like, I don't ask what somebody does. They'll tell me. I don't ask yeah. how, you know, how much they make because I think that immediately, it means you have a, um, an ulterior motive. And exactly. so all of a sudden, it, it takes away from the trust you're building. They'll tell you. Well, and in is ask the right questions. There are wrong questions. And I, here's what, what do you think about this though? I love to know what people do because mm-hmm. I'm just fascinated. I just love that says so much about like where they are now, what their life was like, what's their story. Yeah. That is one for me. That's like, no, really, I'm just like curious about people. Yeah. You, you may not have that problem, but how do you get around that? Or what are the right questions? Well, we brought it up earlier in the show. I think Atlanta is different in that somebody walking into my office here, yeah. I know they're qualified. I already know that I don't have to kind of, find, you know, ask them how much they make or, you know, yeah. have they retired yet? I mean, a lot of them already have. Um, Probably is the answer. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that's a, that's different with between our two markets. Yeah. But like I said, I think, you know, usually we, we'll, 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 we'll say, let's go do a tour because we have, you know, we have the town of Mountain Village and we have the town of Tellurites and then we have some outlying areas. And so usually we get in the car, drive around and that's when they'll sit there and talk to you and you hear more about their family, more about their occupation, what they like to do um, and, you know, what they're thinking. Why, why are they, why do they want a place in Telluride? Where do they want to go with this? And I have a feeling they feel they have really great conversations because you just listen. <laughs> well, I, I, yeah. Listen, I have found in our conversations previous to this, you have a way of keeping people talking. You may not be conscious of that or at what level do you do that? How do you ask them the questions that they're interested to answer and keep them talking? Or do you know? Um, I think it's, I, I wish I would work on my 15 year old teenager, but no, um, I don't know. I, I think I just, I, I just do it. And yeah. I, I'm kind of an outdoor, uh, uh, more open person. Uh, yeah. And I've been, you know, being in the community for such a long time, you know, a lot of people, you know, a lot of people in the street. And yeah. when you're walking around with someone, you're saying hi to different people. It, it's just, um, I guess who, who I am. But I, I mean, like I said, I do listen. I don't, I like to let them talk. And here, so uh, to that, you're, I'm thinking about, you know, when you're negotiating transactions, how many years ago was it that you even negotiated a transaction under 
a million dollars. I don't think they even exist in Telluride. Oh, I, I'm closing on a $52 million fractional today. I'm closing on a 27 That's not a million. No, 52,000, uh, 52, oh. excuse me. Oh, okay. 52,000 fractional uh, today. But you're used and, to talking in the millions. Yeah, I'm so used to talking in the millions, it slips. Right. Um, and then I've got a, a, a $27,000 fractional closing next week. So. So I do, I do everything. Right, but you can't even remember the thousands or the millions. <laughs> so in negotiating with, with people that are, um, you know, it's a, tell your rides a bubble. When mm -hmm. you're negotiating, you've got clients in this sphere, demographic, whatever we want to call that. What do your negotiations look like? How do they go and what makes a good negotiation? Um, well, a lot of my clients are probably better negotiators. They're, most of them are CEOs or uh, very um, sophisticated buyers. They, they kind of know where they want to go. They kind of know where they want to start. I just, once again, I'd listen. I prod them along saying, what are your, th what are your thoughts? Where do, you know, where do you want to go? The market has changed so much in the last year. Before, we used to say, well, here are the comparable sales. This is where you should probably start. And this is what we should hope to finish up at. And then you want to, you want to do a negotiation where everybody feels good at the end of the day. You know, that's what your, your ultimate goal is. Um, but these days, it's such a seller's market. It's kind of hard. You're kind of, you're going, well, if you really want it, you have to put in a full price offer or maybe a little bit above and you need to do it in the near future. Yeah. Um, I think it'll loosen up over this next um, four to six months as some people decide to take profits and, and put properties back on the market. We're already starting to see that. And we have, you know, our mud season is April and May where the whole town kind of, nobody wants to be here except the locals. And you'll see more properties coming on the market during that, that down period before we start seeing festivals in the summer. Interesting. And when you're, when you're talking to a CEO who, or other executives who negotiate a lot for a living, and you are, what are, what is that like to deal with? What's your advice on all of us listening who have those high powered clients, have those networks or agents tapping into that? What's your advice on handling those kinds of clients and what does that look like versus what it might be um, in the kind of regular market, for lack of a better word? When, when you, and you know, if you're dealing with somebody like a doctor or a lawyer, um, or a number, number of different businesses, they are not, you know, lawyers obviously will, will have negotiated a bunch, but doctors don't necessarily, um, or other, other people in the world, uh, not, you know, the, the regular folk here. Um, you know, there's, you have to really give them more guidance. I think with the, the, the CEOs of the world and the, the, the hedge fund managers and the, you know, some of the other people that, that we see come across our desk, they, they really know where they want to, they have it all preconceived in their, their mind. They know exactly where they want to start, but they want to bounce it off us. And so once again, the thing I do is listen and just kind of do little prods like, well, so what are you thinking? Where do you want to come in at? You know, all the little things. Um, and then I, I also, the other thing you really have to do is build up expectations because that's something that if you want to get from A to B, they, they have to be prepared to go there. And if you say, well, no, you should stop it a and a half, it's not going to get there. Uh, you know. You, so so you, let's say you've got somebody, and you know, because we're just realtors, we don't know what we're doing, and mm -hmm. they're the executive or founder of whatever big tech company we want to name. 
mm-hmm. and this is what we're going to do and this is how we're going to do it and this is how it's going to go i've had that happen in in, in little atlanta and when you know that's just not going to work right that's not how it's going to go even though that's how it's preconceived and you're dealing with people who are used to knowing what they're talking about and they're pretty sure they're smarter than you. How do you handle those conversations to keep them out of their own way? Or as you said, set those expectations where they hear it. You, um, you're not always going to win those battles. That's something to know, you know, right. all the time, you know, y'all, you're not every day. You don't, you know, you don't win every battle. And I think you just yeah. have to have that. And I think you have to be confident enough just to say, here's what we're seeing in the market. Just so you know, it, it may not come down to this price. Yeah. And, and then you, you know, a lot of times you can back it up, at least for the last 12 months, we've seen sales where the, the, the list price and the selling price are very close. In the old days, it wasn't that. You had somewhere between 4 and 8% was the negotiated cushion on most of the listings in this area. And that's now dropped, I would say, 2 to 4%, maybe even less, depending yeah. on the property. Well, you just answered it. You just did like the whole script for us. Yeah. Basically, I love how I hear a lot of agents want to tell their clients, look, that's not going to work. It's not going to happen like that because we know our business so well. And that goes real well. That goes over real well, right? When you tell people they're wrong, they love to hear that. They'll like, <laughs> yeah, we'll call you right back. Right. So advice number one. But the other thing is like things like, you know, it may not, it may not. And then I love the other one. I mean, is the good advice that I can tell, Lars, you definitely take for granted that you already kind of innately have after 32 years in the business because we're out to make you feel young today. Um, but it, the, you know, when you're talking to them, it's typically the buffer between list to sell price is four to 8% in this market. Right now it's closer to 2%. Yep. And even going into an Atlanta, for example, the difference between list to sell price is 0%. Yep. It's becoming a negative percentage. Now that's actually not in the million plus market, but it is in the properties under a million. So it's things like that and in really knowing those numbers. Um, When you got into this business, because clearly you just answered that, not even thinking Mm -hmm. about what you were doing. You just know it like the back of your hand, which is the other thing. In this business, you're brilliant at at, at establishing trust, surely by being trustworthy and listening to people, the most two important things. And the other thing is, you know your market. Yep. You know what you know, and you know it like the back of your hand, and it's not an argument. It's not about being right. It just is. Mm-hmm. Um, in working with clients, at what point, I bet you that wasn't you 30 years ago. How did the, how and when did that transpire? Well, I think with every client you work with, they're all, no one's alike, and so they're all looking for different things. And so your job is to go out and find what they want. And so you're you're looking through the entire market and you're gaining market knowledge as you go through this condominium project or that condominium project or this side of town or that side of town. Um, and so really uh, over time, you're going to learn all of that. My first year in, in real estate, my first summer, I literally, because back then you didn't get your license for, for two months. I took a, an old MLS book and I would ride my mountain bike all around the different neighborhoods to find out and get a workout and find out, you know, Oh, look at that house or look at this house. And it really helped at least for that summer, you know, you have to continually do it. Every successful agent does what you, well, they're not all riding their bikes around the mountains of Telluride, but in their markets, there's an agent in um, Naples. And he said before I, for six months before I, I got my license, but before I even started, 
For six months, I walked up and down the oceanfront and studied every building and learned all of the amenities, all of the square foot values, all of the floor plans, and didn't do, didn't even start. Now, none of us have that luxury until I knew the market better than anybody. And all I had to do was get in front of potential clients and let them hear and, and let them ask the right questions to hear what he knew and yep. listen to provide the information when it was welcome and his business took off. Yeah. So if you, um, well, oh, I got a better question. What is, we talked about this a little bit, so I don't know if you have an answer. So we give you a, we'll give you a, what do you call that? A kind of a free out. Rain check. There you go. Um, if, is there a story you could share us where it was just, our biggest challenges are where we get learned the most. Do you have an example of when you've had a big challenge in this business and broke through it and created a success or had a huge aha that you would share us? Basically, what are some big, big lessons? You know, for me, it was the, the advertising because it all of a sudden elevated me to the big guys. All, you know, I was spending the money and I, and I often think like if I were to move to Portland, Oregon, where I came from or Atlanta or a different city, what would I do? I, I would definitely, you know, build up a nest egg. And then I would probably advertise a considerable amount the first year just to get my name out there. I would also try and meet as many people. You know, I, um, I think I said, you know, I'm, I'm on the town council here. I'm a, a volunteer fireman. I do a lot of um, wow. yeah. nonprofit work. And all of that comes back to you and the people that you meet. It's the best way to um, meet people in a very auth uh, authentic, uh, um, uh, you know, yeah. and, um, how do you say it? Uh, auth authenticity, yeah. right? You know, they, that's a, you know, that's what I did. Um, and then I think you have motivational uh, steps you know, we, we, your first house, marriage, kids, all of those, they, they work in the back of your mind and you, um, it, you, you feel it, right? It, it's just something that you have to, you work harder. Yeah. Oh, isn't it? Like, mm -hmm. the thing, like you have kids and suddenly you make money you never thought you could make because you just have to. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. You just, you never thought you could do it and then you just do it. Yeah. So exactly. And you kind of grow with your clients and they do the same thing. Yeah. What's your it, biggest advice? Oh, no, go ahead. I was going to say like, um, you know, one of the things when you, you're dealing with, you know, like we talk about CEOs and stuff, you just, you kind of just go along with them and, they, you know, you get a sense of where they're going and what they want to do. But I think you get more comfortable working with these people. And I think that also is something that helped my business is, all of a sudden, you know, it's, I'm, I'm, you know, well, number one, I don't ask, but number two, I just work with them as a person. And I think they, they enjoy, you know, part of why they're coming to Telluride is to, they don't want to be flashy. They're, they want to be under the radar. And I, I think that's kind of what I work. I also do try and work that, that way. Yeah, exactly. Let you, know, let them be a person. Yeah, exactly. I love that. I love my, my favorite quote of today, though, is don't ask. If you listen, they'll tell you. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> What's your biggest advice to agents, whether we're seasoned and in the business and want to take it to the next level or be even better or breaking into the business? 
um, God, you know, well, breaking into the business, you have to be knowledgeable. You have to be um, confident. I mean, confidence is huge. Whether, you know, you're asking someone out on a date or, or you know, trying to sell somebody a $5 million home, you have to be confident. And you, um, I know there's all times in our life where, hey, maybe we don't have the money in the bank account. Maybe we're stressing out about financing because that used to, you know, that, that definitely happened in 2008, 2009, 2010. Nobody needed a second home. And so you're kind of going, well, how am I going to make the money to feed my family and to pay the pay for the roof over my head and you have to you can't let them sense that you're um nervous or (laughs) you know i you just kind of roll with it but i remember the you know the person that i met walking down the street i remember him always saying never let them see you sweat and um it's it's true you you have to be confident that you know things will work out I mean, that's what I I always just look at the, you know, even though you you go up, well, where's the next, you know, paycheck coming from? You got to go. All right. But you have to keep doing what you're doing and keep, keep being motivated to reach out, to talk to people. I think that's the other thing is stay in touch, you know, whether you're new in the business or um, a seasoned veteran, stay in touch with all of your contacts. Cause that's the one thing that we, you know, like we talked about in COVID, we get so introverted. We stay at home we were hanging out with our family. We don't think about other people and you really have to reach out yeah. and they want to talk. Like, that's the other thing you reach out to them. They're like, Hey, you know, it's that's actually, they actually want to talk, which is the benefit. Right. So, to repeat, I want everybody to hear what you said. Cause if you're, when I love how, when you answer questions, the little nuggets are there, but I want to draw them back out for everybody. So one thing you said, like in our business, you've always got to learn and you've got to have faith. So you, we do have, there's a misperception thing sometimes in our industry that we just get between the person and the, and the real estate and we mm-hmm. don't. We actually bring it happen from the knowledge they need from us. So right. you know, Jim Rohn, I've been quoting him a lot lately. If you want to earn more, learn more. And then the other thing is having that faith. Yep. Is faith that it, it and not in, and never the compound effect of continuing to serve, having that faith in our market and in life and in learning more always and being positive yeah if you, you wake up in the day and you you know it's almost like don't go to work if you're negative like you know, figure out a, you know what's going to make you happy right. yeah watch an episode of ted lasso and, and there you go you're off off to the races yeah what a great point like be positive i can't tell you i was actually um talking to a business coach the other day and he said you wouldn't believe when I do consultations with people, I ask them, what do you want? And they tell me what they don't want. Hmm. And, this, and they, you know, if we talk about what you don't want, that we're, you're going to, we're going, that's what's going to transpire. What do you want? And he said, it takes a long time with some people to get them to talk about their, they get so honed in on what they don't want and getting them into what we want, what I want. And that focus of, you know, when you're afraid or confidence, focus on what you're going for. Focus on learn. Confidence comes from learning. Thomas yeah. Wright, who's been on the show a couple of times. Yeah, he's great. Oh, isn't he? He's like, yeah. you can't fake confidence. You can't fake confidence. So, okay, well, if you can't fake it, how do you get it? Learn more, you know, well, learn more, know, and stay positive. And stay positive. I mean, that's a, a yeah. huge factor. 
Um, and, and I think, you know, the only other thing going back to your question is I would, I highly recommend anybody that I'm sure you have goals every year that you set up and you, you look at them on a daily basis or weekly and you go, all right, you know, that's how you get to get to where you want to go is you focus on those things and you're positive. Yeah. Well, have something to focus on to keep that movement forward. Because when you taught, you said, learn more, you have, you have a faith in, in positive positivity is probably more tangible but learn, be positive, have faith. And what keeps that moving forward is the focus and the goals that you're going yep. to. All right, so we've got a final three questions we ask on the show. Don't be scared. They're easy, usually. Usually we get the best answers. I just wanna like start my interviews now with the final three. So number one, what do you think has been, and it can be in any capacity, but what has been your best resource in your success? Hmm. or tool it could be anything from technology like a crm or to something you've done like i used to have a ladies lunch i did every week that literally fed me business um hmm. it was a huge resource for me or anything you know for, for our market it, it was once again advertising that that was the oh, yeah the, the single best resource the other the other thing i would say for anyone getting in the business pick up a copy of ninja selling and and read that too because it gives there's a lot of good nuggets and now it's kind of a mantra for Liv Sotheby's that you you have to be part of the, you've got to believe in the, the ninja selling. Exactly. All right, next, except uh -oh. I have answered it, but I bet you didn't, I bet there's a better one. What is a book that we have to read? Well, Ninja Selling. Yeah, is that it? Um, I've got to read Ninja Selling. I've kind of skimmed it. I've got to actually read it, yeah. Actually, I would say don't read it because it, it's kind of, well, you skim it, but I think the best thing to do is sign up for one of the installations because they're now doing them all over the country. Yeah. I think that's a, uh, a great thing to, to do. It, you know, it's, you're, in, you're in classes for three days and it's really easy um, to, get, to get kind of the feel. And you don't have to buy into the whole thing, but I think there's so many little nuggets like you've talked about that make such a, a profound difference in your business that it's, it's worthwhile. Exactly. All right, back to the book. Okay. Give us a book, like a book book. A it book? can even be a novel or it can be like, what's a book that's actually, and if it's not, give us something that's motivated you. Oh, motivated me. Actually, uh, this is crazy, but I find Atlas Shrugged an incredibly motivating novel. Yeah, funny you should say that because right before this interview, somebody sent me an article on Anne Ryan. Oh yeah. And I literally was like, why have I not read that book? It's, I used to read it all the time. And it's interesting, if you go to the graveyard here in Telluride, there is a gravestone for John Galt. Mm, wow. Which is the, the opening line of um, the book is, who is John Galt? Now it's spelled differently, but then they also talk about a community called Midasville, which is a valley in the Southwestern part of Colorado, surrounded by 13,000 foot peaks with another valley below. And it feels just like Telluride when you read it. You're like, oh, that's like Telluride. Um, but I then to see John Galt. Book, so I can't even like speak to that. I've, yeah. got, I've, been, I've been like for 20, now I'm really giving my, my age away, but literally for like 20 years, I've been told to read the book because everybody's like, you so good that book, except you haven't read it yet. It, well, and it's great beach reading. 
Yeah. What's your big takeaway from the book? What do you love or what kind of, um, you know, whatever job you do, do to the best of your ability. Don't expect, um, it's very anti-entitlement. Like, no, you know, you have to earn everything, which is huge. You know, it's like you want your kids to read that book because you want them to know they're not going to be given. They need to earn what they, what they want in life. Nothing's yeah. given to you if yeah. you're successful. Yeah. And that's kind of the point. Yeah. Kind of the point. That's what perpetuates success in and of itself. Yeah. Last question. If there's one thing that you hope everybody would take away from our conversation today, if they're just going to forget everything else, what would it be? Listen. Learn to listen. Really, I mean, it works with your spouse. It works with your kids. It works with clients. What great advice. And it works with friends. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that too. Yeah. <laughs> great advice. Yeah. Lawrence Carlson, thank you so much. Intel your odds. Live Sotheby's International Realty. Thank you so much for being on today. It's been great to have you. Thanks, Jerry. It was fun. I'll probably have to. Thanks for listening to the Jerry Metcalf podcast, where top real estate agents tell how they do it. If you like this episode, please share it with friends. To find more episodes, search Jerry Metcalf podcast on any platform for podcasts or go to jerrymetcalfpodcast.com. That's J-E-R-E-M-E-T-C-A-L-F podcast.com.